Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, May 12th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Wycharan Bui. Hey, everyone. All right, guys, let's jump right into the news today. HT, we've just learned about a new directorial effort from One Night in Miami director Regina King. Tell us about that. Yeah, Regina King has been tapped by Legendary to direct Bitter Root, the uh, feature adaptation of the Image Comics graphic novel series about a family of monster hunters living in the Harlem Renaissance. So Regina King is set to direct and produce Bitter Root, which is based off of uh, David F. Walker, Sanford, F. Green, Sam- Sanford Green, and Chuck Brown's uh, critically acclaimed graphic novel series. Uh, Ed- Brian Edward Hill is rewriting the script currently, and Ryan Coogler has been on board to produce since uh, about 2019. Wow. So Harlem Renaissance, that's what, 1920s? Yes, 1924. Okay. So what, what's the uh, what's the gist here? You said a family of monster hunters. What else do we know about this? Yeah. So it focuses on, uh, I'm going to just read the synopsis, a fractured family of once great monster hunters who must face an unimaginable evil that descends upon New York City. For, for generations, the sang- sangaries have hunted and cured those infected by a supernatural force that feeds off the prejudice, 
of that era, transforming human beings into hideous monsters. But their heyday has faded, and with most of the family dead, the surviving sangarees at odds between saving or killing these creatures, and the re- remaining sangarees must overcome the wounds of the past in hopes of thwarting the invasion. Okay, so a uh, little bit heady there, but um, it kind of sounds like there's an underlying thing, especially with the idea of a, a supernatural force that feeds off the prejudice of the era. It sounds like there there's some material there for Regina King to really sink her teeth into. And I think on yesterday's episode, Chris was talking about, you know, sort of bemoaning the fact, like we all have been for years now, that like every time a new filmmaker sort of like bursts onto the scene, they immediately get sucked into you know, whether it's Marvel or Star Wars, some sort of big franchise comic book uh, type of property. So what do you think about Regina King, who has only made one film so far? I think she may have another one potentially lined up, you know, maybe sometime before or after this. Um, getting, yeah, like pulled into this uh, this comic book world, albeit one that seems to, I guess, give her an opportunity to, to take a bite out of some like, you know, actual meaty conversation stuff. What do you think? Yeah, I think this is for sure a different beast than a Marvel uh, property or Star Wars or Disney property of that kind because it's not just a big tentpole superhero movie. It's a legitimately interesting and high concept premise that's based off of a graphic novel that is not, you know, Iron Man or Superman or something. It's it's critically acclaimed, but not a major franchise property and um i think that it's um i think it's a yeah it's something that she can sink her teeth into and obviously she's shown a passion for working in black-led projects that uh support and put on a platform black voices and i think that this is for sure a chance to do that in a genre that is of course more accessible but um not selling out per se right okay so uh talking about comic book related stuff Uh, Brad, we know that Marvel Studios is making a Fantastic Four movie, and there have been rumors for months now that uh, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt might be playing uh, two members of the Fantastic Four. What is the latest on this? Yeah, I mean, even before Fantastic Four was officially announced by Marvel, uh, both John Krasinski and Emily Blunt have been uh, fan favorites to potentially be cast as Reed Richards and Sue Storm, uh, better known as Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman. And the rumors have kind of turned into like a little more than that, where people are thinking, oh, they're definitely have talked to Marvel and things like that. Um, But Emily Blunt was recently interviewed while making the publicity rounds for A Quiet Place Part 2, which is coming out soon. And she said that it's nothing more uh, than fan casting. They haven't had any serious talks with Marvel or anything like that. So uh, it's just... Simply that, no, no actual credence to the, to those rumors. So anything that is out there, don't believe it just yet. And then, in the same breath, uh, weirdly enough, she kind of indicated that even if the role came around, it's maybe not something she would be super keen on. Uh, you know, she was previously cast as Black Widow, and then scheduling forced her to not be able to take the role and went to Scarlett Johansson. And she she acknowledges that back then she was obsessed with Iron Man, wanted to work with Robert Downey Jr. But now she says, quote, I don't know if superhero movies are for me. They're not up my alley. I don't like them. I really don't. It's been exhausted. We're inundated. It's not all the only all the movies. It's the endless TV shows as well. Um, but she also says that she's not saying she'll never play a superhero, but it just has to be something that is cool and appeals to her more than just being, you know, a big franchise role, which is, which is fair. And I feel like that's probably what all actors would say. But just the fact that she 
doesn't really like them also kind of, you know, makes it seem like she just doesn't care. Yeah. And that part kind of leads me to believe that she's actually being legit in saying that she and Krasinski have not had any real conversations about this. Cause you know, of course, if they actually had uh, those conversations and were trying to keep it secret, that's exactly the type of thing that you would say is like, Oh no, we haven't spoken to Marvel about it, whatever. But this idea that she's putting out there sort of of her own accord, that she's not like a big fan of superhero stuff. And especially like the, the quote where she says the endless TV shows that feels like it's directed specifically at Marvel. Um, so I, I do, don't know. I do wonder though, if like, she's just kind of lumping everything together because uh, you know, on TV too, like you have all of the shows that are part of the Arrowverse. There's like what, five or six shows that are all, you know, mm-hmm. t- tied together. So I wonder if she's just, as an actor is just noticing all of these different properties and maybe it's, maybe it's not just Marvel, but just, you know, everything. Yeah. So what do you think about this, Brad? Like, I mean, let's assume, let's take her at her word here and say that uh, they're actually not going to end up playing those characters. Is that like a, a disappointment to you? Were you one of those people who were, who were uh, really excited about the potential of Krasinski and Blunt playing two members of the Fantastic Four? Uh, I mean, I think that they would be fine in the roles. They're both great actors. They both have histories with Marvel, and it'd be cool to see them, uh, you know, come into the Marvel Cinematic Universe now, later in their career. Um, but I feel like there's an opportunity here to find some people who are maybe a little bit more exciting, maybe a little more uh, diverse, you know, uh, kind of just reach into the pool and find, you know, people who aren't just like two very popular uh, white actors. You know, I think that you can, you know, turn Fantastic Four into a much bigger deal by doing it that way. Yeah, and I, I kind of wonder, like, um, not to be ageist, but I kind of feel like Krasinski and Blunt, like, you know, like you mentioned, they have history with Marvel. They auditioned for a ton of stuff, you know, 10, 10 plus years ago or whatever. So you would think that maybe Marvel Studios might be looking for people who are a little bit younger too. like, you know, uh, Fantastic Four is a big deal in the world of Marvel. And so these characters are going to be around for a while, presumably once they're introduced. So you would think that they would want maybe somebody who is uh, yeah, a little bit younger. And, and it, it seemed like the entire MCU is kind of trending that way, doesn't it? Like, you know, with with these veteran uh, people sort of being, I guess, no pun intended, but phased out uh, as these movies go on a little bit. Yeah, it seems like that they need to go at least a little bit younger because, you know, you want Fantastic Four to stick around as a franchise. And, we're you know, we're talking several years of de- being dedicated to these parts. So, um you know, ageism aside, the, you, these, you know, actors have to look like superheroes for a long time. And, you know, mm-hmm. you have you have people, you know, like Robert Downey Jr. and stuff like that, who they're not, they're not super young. Um, but, you know, I think when you're starting a new new franchise, you definitely want to skew a little bit, bit younger like that. And so I, I would imagine that they're, they are probably a little bit higher than the age range that they might be looking for. Yeah. So, um, you know, you mentioned uh, Emily Blunt is out there doing press for a quiet place, a quiet place part two. And uh, part of the press tour that she did included an appearance on Howard Stern's Sirius XM show. And he was asking her about edge of tomorrow too, which um, I think I can speak for all of us in saying that we really liked the first edge of tomorrow movie it came out in 2014. The one that co-starred, Uh, Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And I I think it's like one of the best sci-fi movies of the past 20 years. Um, And there has just been constant talk about a sequel pretty much ever since the first movie came out. It seems like every single time either Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, or Doug Liman, the director, is interviewed, they're asked about it. And it's one of those, um, you know, one of those projects that just seems to 
uh, have a lot of interest from people, I think, because that first movie was such a, a pleasant surprise when it came out. So anyway, Howard Stern asked Emily Blunt, hey, what's the deal basically with, with Edge of Tomorrow 2? And she said, we wanted to make a sequel. Uh, her quote was, I think the, the movie is probably too expensive. I just don't know how we're going to do it. I think uh, that it's hard to align everyone's schedules. I would love it. Doug Lyman would love it. Tom would love it. We'd all love to do it. But I think until we figure out what's going on with the industry, honestly, I think we need to figure out what is the next roadmap for the kinds of films that people want to make. Um, so I think she brings up a good point there because the first movie cost around $200 million, which I know it performed well at the box office, but uh, considering the state of Hollywood right now, it's not super surprising that Warner Brothers might be uh, pumping the brakes a little bit on shelling out, you know, another $200 million for a sequel to a movie that, you know, Edge of Tomorrow is not exactly like a home run brand, like so many other pieces of intellectual property that Warner Brothers has sort of at its disposal. So yeah, that makes sense to me that the studio might want to uh, pause for a second and take a look and sort of reassess what, uh, what audiences might want, what the studio is going to do uh, in the wake of the pandemic um, in terms of like getting back to a new normal. Plus there's the idea that Doug Lyman is sort of well known as being a, like a quote unquote difficult director. He's a guy who um, often, uh, you know, does some, some pretty radical things on set and, and often finds his movies in the editing room, which um, can be very expensive for studios. So, um, you know, all of these, things combined sort of leads me to believe that Edge of Tomorrow 2, if it were ever to come out at all, it would be kind of like a minor miracle if it ended up happening. So I just wanted to ask you guys about this. What do you think about Edge of Tomorrow 2? Is this one of those projects that you know everybody talks about, but you think is might be better on paper than in actuality? Or what do you think about the, the idea that it might not happen at all? Um, Brad, let's start with you. I mean, it would have to be a really good idea to want to retread that territory, you know, because uh, part of the appeal is using the time loop formula in, you know, a, a big budget sci-fi uh, genre like this. You know, there's um, it really ups the ante when it's not something like Groundhog Day. And it's even bigger than something like Source Code, which, uh, you know, takes the time loop formula and does, does a similar thing um, just I guess on a little bit of a smaller scale. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to see the time loop formula all over again. So I, I would hope that they would have an idea to like, to, to shake it up, to make it interesting. And I just don't know what that is. So would it be cool if they did make Edge of Tomorrow too? Sure. But like, I would really need to be convinced that it's a story that like needs to be told because otherwise I feel like the first one works as a standalone movie and doesn't need, you know, to continue necessarily. Mm HT, -hmm. what do you think? I think it's just been too long since Edge of Tomorrow came out. I think it was, what, 2014? Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, uh, the while it's a beloved film, and I, I really love it too, I just don't think it's really demanding a sequel because it works so well on its own as this fun little, um, orig not original, because it's based off of a manga, actually, or a light novel, I think. And um, just a, such a such a good, solid little sci-fi movie that, um, you know, was a great showcase for Blunt and Tom Cruise. And... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm agree. I'm on board with Brad. I think it would require a really good story to um, to go back to that franchise. But uh, I think, yeah, just leave it, leave it be. It's fine on its own. In, in response to that, I will say that Terminator Two arrived like six years or That's so true. after, and we are uh, the in first the Terminator. We are in the heights of long away, like long coming sequels, like Bill and Ted and Coming to America. So, never mind. 
I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's let's wrap things up with one more uh, news story to talk about here today. And that is that Apple TV Plus has picked up a sort of surprising movie. H.C., tell me about that. Yeah, Apple and A24 are partnering up to release Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is the Shakespeare adaptation starring Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand as Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. This is going to be Joel Cohen's first movie without his brother Ethan, and uh, it's being primed as a major awards contender. It's This basically signals Apple TV Plus's uh, big awards season and Oscar season ambitions. They ha- already have... Uh, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, which they also paid a hefty price for, as well as um, the Sundance Darling Coda, which they paid a record-setting amount of money for. So it seems that this, with this on top of that, they really are gunning for the Oscars next year. And um, The Tragedy of Macbeth uh, is going to be a black-and-white movie that will be released later this year uh, in theaters worldwide and then have a global launch on Apple TV+. So, uh, HG, what what is your, um, I guess, familiar, familiarity level with the works of uh, Shakespeare? Have you, like, done a deep dive and, and read all of the, you know, the plays and, and all of that kind of stuff? How familiar are you with the tragedy? Of I mean, I'm not a Shakespeare scholar, for sure. I've read basically the the number, the handful of plays that you'll read in high school. So I, I read Macbeth, mm-hmm. read Hamlet, read uh, Romeo and Juliet. <sighs> what other ones? I feel like there's a couple of other ones that I've read and I'm so, I'm familiar with his works. Um, I can't say I, I'm actually the hugest fan of Shakespeare, but, um, you know, Macbeth is a classic story that has been told time and time again on the big screen and the small screen. I, you know, uh, House of Cards, for example, is a sort of riff off of Macbeth. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, you know, while it's been done before, it can it's kind of one of those, those timeless stories because it's Shakespeare who whose stories are so universal that you can just redo them over and over and it will it'll always be interesting. Um, and I'm excited with the names involved in this. This is Joel Cohen's first feature film alone. And it's, you know, starring Frances McDormand hot off her win for Nomadland, uh, Denzel Washington, and they're playing older, you know, they're just deliberately playing older Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, which I think is mm-hmm. already an interesting thing. And they're deliberately naming it the tragedy of Macbeth versus just Macbeth too. So yeah, a lot of interesting things going on in here. I think whatever the case, I will be excited for it. So Brad, what do you think about this? Is it just about uh, awards here? What do you think Apple's um, like the mindset is between or behind picking up a, a project like this? Yeah, I think that's a big motivation for them. I, I feel like Apple still has a lot to prove when it comes to you know having solid original programming. You know, they they've made some good progress getting nominated for certain awards. You know, obviously uh, Ted Lasso and the Morning Show were were good grabs for them, and they've gotten some uh, accolades recently. But when it comes to original movies, they're still kind of working to uh i guess you know have a little bit more prestige uh you know they've got the new martin scorsese coming up and you know a coen brothers movie is also a great way to go if you're looking to try and get nominated for some academy awards um so i I think that's definitely their their motivation here for sure hc we were talking about this in the uh, chat a little bit earlier but like the idea of apple tv plus winning potentially winning a best picture oscar before netflix when netflix (laughs) has spent so much money on you know putting putting movies like the irishman and roma and marriage story and all of these sort of films that seem like almost tailor-made for oscars out there only to have them rejected by the academy for that that top prize that they're so desperate for um, what do you think about like Apple TV plus potentially, you know, coming in here and like, is this, uh, is that some, you know, do, do you sort of see them as, uh, as rivals in that way? 
I mean, it would be hilarious <laughs> because Netflix <laughs> is trying so hard. They they made peace with Cannes after Cannes had had banned them, and they are at the center of the streamers becoming actual awards contenders sort of thing happening. And uh, I think it would be really funny if Apple TV just swooped in and were like, hey, we're the first streamer to win an Oscar. It would be really funny. So um, yeah, I, uh, I that's my that's my opinion on it. It would be funny. Do you think that there is, um, I don't know, I feel like for the, the past several years, uh, one of the sentiments that I've been hearing, I have no idea if this is true or not, but just, you know, from prognosticators and people who follow the Oscars closely and stuff have just sort of um, laid this track a little bit for like maybe some Netflix bias in the industry, like people who are just sort of against the idea of um, Netflix because Netflix is just a representative for streamers. You know, they're like the biggest one and, and um you know, that, that maybe some of the old guard uh, Academy members don't really like what re- Netflix represents for how the industry has shifted in, in the past few years. Do you think Apple TV plus will, will have, um, do you think those vote, like if that scenario is true, do you think that those voters might think the same way about Apple TV plus, or do you think because it's not Netflix, they might be more, uh, liable to be able to sort of sneak in and, and sort of pull off an upset win like that? That's a good point. I don't know. I feel like you are onto something there, but um, because I think it was Steven Spielberg who was uh, criticizing Netflix for its disruption of the industry and its taking over of um, and how it has changed the audience sort of um, uh, behavior away from mm-hmm. cinemas and towards uh, expecting everything to be streaming and for free. Um, and then he went and partnered with. Who was it that he partnered with? Quibi? I think it was Apple TV Plus, right? It was Apple TV Plus. Yeah. So maybe I think you're onto something. I don't know. <laughs> Brad, do you have any thoughts about that? Do you think Apple TV Plus might be able to benefit from not being Netflix, but still being in that sort of streamer category? Um, I mean, I guess only, if only because I guess there's like a little bit of like, a, I don't know, a cool factor to Apple that Netflix doesn't have because Netflix has a lot of garbage that accompanies these prestige movies that they put out there. Yeah, that's true. So, so maybe since Apple is a little bit more picky and doesn't have quite an expansive library where there's just they're just churning out mediocre thing after mediocre thing that, that it, it could help them. Yeah, I think that's a good point. All right, that sounds like a good place to wrap up. So I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all of these stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Uh, this show is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to Slash Film Daily on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps. And you can send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Please also uh, don't forget to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Specifically, that helps us out a lot there. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.